Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken yeah. dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome once again to the Links and Locks podcast. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet, alongside, as always, my pal, Len Hochberg from Roto-Wire, here to break down the DFS slate for this week's AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Len, unfortunately, you and I are not on the Monterey Peninsula this week, which is one of my favorite places in the entire world, but... We are right here breaking it down. What's going on with you? How have you been? I am doing well. Thanks. Just enjoyed a big sports weekend. Congrats to Luke List. That was a pretty exciting finish. The PGA Tour got away with one there. They didn't want a Sunday finish. And thanks to Luke List's wedge from, what, 120, they avoided that. They didn't have to go against the football. And this week's a pretty unique week for what we're about to talk about. There's uh, some characteristics here. So looking forward to it. You know, it was interesting last week because, and this is something I've thought about for a while, I've sort of, I guess, subconsciously done this in the past when making DFS lineups. Uh, My buddy Reed Fowler, who's an analyst for DraftKings, speaks about this in more detail, though. But we think in terms of stacking lineups and a stacked lineup in football is, okay, I like Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to put him with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Nicole Hardman. And if he throws them to all three guys, well, I'm going to have a big day. Or in baseball, okay, I'm going to take the one through four hitters from the Blue Jays lineup and okay, you know, if they go off, that's going to make my lineup. We don't really think of golf in terms of stacking, but I was thinking about it on Saturday evening watching the final round of the Farmers Insurance Open where Luke List and Will Zalatoris in that playoff together. If you're going to put two players together, it's like great tee to green players who struggle with the flat stick. Those are two guys that you probably had stacked together. So for those listeners who did have Liston Zalatoris, congratulations to you guys uh, uh, sitting there in the playoff, uh, just counting your money. But yeah, I do think that's a nice little strategy to think about, at least when you're making multiple DFS lineups is try stacking with different lineups and similar types of players in them. Also interesting last week and maybe this week when the showdown games for DraftKings, I was recommending to people stack the North course. If you're going to play a showdown, a one day game, Well, on Thursday or Friday, play six guys from the North course. And this week, um, you know, Pebble can be tough. Spyglass could be tough. Monterey, really never tough. Just another consideration for people to put on their radar. Yeah. So if you're doing that research, remember last year, they only used two of the courses. It was not a pro-am. They took Monterey Peninsula Country Club out of the rotation and only played Pebble and Spyglass. You have to go back two years to 2020 and you look at, the scoring averages over the first three days, two years ago, and MPCC 69.690, Pebble 71.677, Spyglass 72.877. So there's about a three-stroke differential between MPCC and Spyglass. If you're playing showdowns, I would absolutely look at 
at least four players, maybe five or six from Monterey Peninsula and fill out the rest of the lineup with guys playing Pebble. I'd probably stay away from guys playing Spyglass. That's a good point, Lennon. Let's get right into it with the pricing for this week. And to nobody's surprise, Patrick Cantlay right there at the top, 11200 First of all, do you think that's about the right price for what he should be? And what's not a great field? He's the only top 10 player in the world ranking playing this week. There's only three players in the top 20, 10 in the top 50. So he's far and above the best talent in this field. Is it the right price? And secondly, the more important question, are you paying up for that in lineups? Do you like Cantley that much to pay that number this week? I do. He's played twice this year. He's finished top 10 both times. One was a top five. His last two tournaments last year were the two playoff events. He won in BMW and he won the tour championship asterisk with the tour championship. He's finished top 25, 10 of the last 11 times he's played. He's really approaching John Rom territory in his automaticness, if I can say it like that. And now, even though he has a small sample size, he's leading the tour in greens in regulation. 11-2 is a very fair price. I think he's a good play. Okay, I'm going to give you one reason to play him this week and one reason to leave him out. And my reason to play him is that what we found from Patrick Cantlay really throughout his career, but especially since he's become a top five, top 10 type of player, is that he doesn't take weeks off. There are other players who are elite level players that might go to a non-major, a non-big event, and they're going to have a good time and they're going to work on their game. They're going to find some momentum and they're going because, well, they just don't want to take three weeks off in a row or something to that effect. Patrick Cantley doesn't go to golf tournaments to have a good time. Patrick Cantley doesn't go to golf tournaments to work on things. Patrick Cantley goes to golf tournaments to play great golf and try to win. He spoke about it at the Century Tournament of Champions where he said, look, I only play so many events. He was asked about trying to peak four times a year for the major championships. He goes, I don't play enough that I can figure out when I want to peak. I want to peak every single time I play. And so I would expect that this week. He's the best player in the field. As I mentioned, I would expect him to be peaking and bring his best stuff to this one. The reason not to take Cantley this week is because even though the pricing on him seems to make sense, it seems like it's a, a fair price. As you said, Len, I feel like there aren't a whole lot of guys in that sub 7,000 range in the six thousands that I really like this week. Uh, there are a few guys who are further down the odds board that I thought might be sort of mid 6,000s, and they're not. They're in the 7,000 to 7,500 range. And so unless there's somebody who's really cheap that you can balance out and offset Cantley in a lineup, I think it's pretty tough to play him at 11-2 and then find those cheaper guys who are going to help you out later on in the list. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point. I struggle to find guys in the sixes. I think we talked about that last week as well. Good point. All right. So moving down the board a little bit more, Will Zalatoris, 10,800 coming off that playoff loss this past week. Daniel Berger, defending champion, 10,500. He's got a win, a fifth, and a 10th place finish in three starts at Pebble. What you'll see is there's some specific course horses this week, which is very interesting considering it's, as I mentioned, a three-course rotation. You'd think that there would be more course horses at places where you play the same place four times in a row, Thursday to Sunday, but there's some course horses here. Includes Berger, includes Jordan Spieth, the winner in 2017, 10,300. Includes Jason Day, who's been top 20 each of the last six years, whether he's number one in the world or struggling with his game. He always brings it coming off a title contention at Torrey Pines last week. You would think Day would be in the mix, 9,900. Maverick McNeely in a small sample size. He's been runner-up last year and fifth place 
the previous year. He's 9,800. Uh, he certainly likes this place. He's playing well. Also, and then uh, I'll go down to Kevin Streelman as another guy. I believe it's seven straight years, 11th or better. Loves playing sort of team golf. And I do think that one of the things we'll find about the players who continually play well at this one is they might be team sport guys trapped inside a golfer's body. And so Kevin Streelman is one of these guys, shows up with Larry Fitzgerald, a good buddy of his. Uh, they play a lot of golf together at Whisper Rock. And I think Streels really loves the team camaraderie concept of going out there and playing with a partner. And so 9,100, uh, he seems like a nice play too. Any of those names stick out more so than some of the others? To piggyback on what you said, yeah, this is a tournament that's different than most. The guys who keep coming back here, they like it. They, you have to be able to either enjoy or withstand the 54, maybe 72 holes of pro-am and slow rounds. It's not for everyone. I do like Daniel Berger. He's the defending champion Fifth the year before. He hadn't played for a while before that at this tournament. Tenth. We talked about Patrick Cantley and his consistency in top 25s. Well, Daniel Berger, of his last 14 tournaments, only 10 top 25s. He's not in the top 10, but he's really good. It's mm -hmm. hard to get into the top 10. And Jason Day, yeah, when Jason Day was struggling for the past three or four years, it didn't matter here. He would come here and he'd play well. I look at that when I see guys struggling, but if they can come to your course for the horse and play well there, that says something. I also do like Maverick McNeely. He was in the mix last week. Some of his best finishers are in California. Oh, yeah. Last year, second here and fifth the year before. He was in the mix. He was in the top 10 going to the final round last week really plummeted down the leaderboard, but he finished really well. He finished birdie eagle. And I think that's going to just lift his spirits that much more going into this week. And yeah, Kevin Strillman, he's 43 years old, but he's automatic this week. Yeah. Strillman plays so well this one. I'd expect him to just show up and play well again, as most of those names that we mentioned. All right. Moving off the top tier a little bit. Moving to this mid-tier, if you're looking for a more balanced lineup this week, and I do think there might be a little of an advantage to play, at least contrarian-wise, in a balanced lineup, because I do think a lot of people are going after all those names we just mentioned, all the guys who are playing well right now and have played well here year after year. I really think those guys are going to take up a ton of ownership this week. So especially in those GPPs, the bigger contests, I think if you're looking to fade those guys who continually show up at Pebble, looking at this mid-tier, Brian Harmon coming off a third place finish at the American Express a few years ago. I like that play. Tom Hoagie was second at that event. Hoagie's been playing some inspired golf, sort of middle of his career, just seems to be finding something right now. He's kind of getting into his groove a little bit. And then I'll throw my favorite outright play this week on the betting board. Feels like people then have forgotten a little bit about Beto Pereira last fall after he earned that in-season promotion after three wins on the Corn Ferry Tour and became a PGA Tour member at a couple of top five finishes, everyone was all over Mito Pereira. Everyone loved this kid. Since then, he's played well. I mean, he hasn't played poorly. Finished top 25 at Torrey Pines this past week. The ball striking numbers were good. And there's another little part of this that makes me want to go after Mito Pereira. And so stick with me on this, Len, because I do think it works a little bit, but you got to kind of work your way through it. Hideki Matsuyama won the Sony Open. He was 13th at Kapalua the week before. Hudson Swafford, he won at the American Express. He had played one time before that this year, and he played pretty well. Wasn't a title contention, wasn't a missed cut. Then we went over to Torrey Pines, Luke List, same thing. I think he was 22nd the week before he played, and it just played once. And so if you're looking for the trend, you're looking for the pattern, all these guys who have won over the last few weeks have played one event, 
the previous week, didn't miss the cut, but didn't contend for the title either. So they weren't like mentally and physically exhausted. Mito Pereira fits that pattern, fits the profile. 25th last week in his first start of 2022. I feel like he's shaken off any cobwebs, any rust, and he can go into this one. Seventh on the PGA Tour in ball striking, in strokes gained on approach shots so far this season. I think this is a perfect venue for him, these three courses, Len. I don't have him on my list, but you make a good argument for him. He was the flavor of the month, the battlefield promotion last summer, and he did play some good tournaments. He sort of settled back into the pack a little bit, but still playing good golf. I like Tom Hoagie, who you mentioned as well. We've seen him the last five or six months have some of the best weeks of his career, I mean, I'm just wondering if this is a new Tom Hoagie that he had just sort of flipped a switch or something on his career as he's about 32 years old. And Mm -hmm. it's rare, but it's certainly not unheard of. No, he's certainly getting there. I mean, I look at it sort of like Luke List, who we thought was going to be a, if not superstar, at least a very high level player for a long time. And he's been good, but he's dealt with injuries and finally breaks through for that win at the age of 37. And I can see him if we're looking for a comp for Luke List. I can see Jason Kokrak being a nice comparison where Kokrak played for a long time without winning, got into his mid-30s, and all of a sudden he's won three times in the last 18 months. I think Luke List has that type of upside. Point is, Tom Hoagie sort of maybe just on a, a bit of a lower tier, but a similar type of story where he's been on tour for a while, hasn't quite broken through, but hey, it happens in mid-career for some of these guys. It doesn't always happen for guys like it does for a Morikawa or a Spieth right away. All right, let's get to these guys in the 7,000s. I'm going to go real quickly through some of these, and uh, Len, you can tell me yes or no on some of these. Aaron Rye I can get down with this week after a title contention last week. Matt Kuchar is an interesting one. He's played some good golf here. I think that Matt Kuchar could have a little renaissance here. Joel Damon, not his best golf recently. You'd have to convince me on him. Keith Mitchell is a guy I love all year, but I'm not necessarily bullish on this week. Patrick Rogers, eh. Nick Taylor, who won two years ago, and Matt Neesmith, great record at this one, but hasn't been playing his best golf lately. Uh, Sahithi Gala is a guy that I'm on every single week, maybe a little less this week than I was the last couple, but I don't mind it. We get down to my favorite play, maybe my favorite play on the entire board this week for his price, if we're talking value. Brandon Harkins at 7,100. Len, he's played this event twice, a 28th and a 15th place. He also happened to win the TaylorMade Pebble Beach Invitational, an unofficial event last year in four rounds, shot 21 under, the lowest winning score there in close to 40 years. Oh, and oh, by the way, he happened to win on the Corn Ferry Tour a week ago, and that event ended on a Wednesday, so it's not as if he's coming off a high of winning on Sunday and has a couple days to get out to Pebble and start playing good golf again. He had a few days to relax, probably went home and enjoyed it for a little bit, and then goes out to Pebble Beach where, like I said, he's played some good golf. So that one is my favorite play, like I said, on the board. I'm going to have a lot of Brandon Harkins in lineups. All right, sorry for that. I broke down a whole bunch of guys in the 7,000s there, but anybody in that range that you're looking at where you say, this guy's got to be on a bunch of my teams. I'm certainly with you on Matt Kuchar. You know, he's not the top 25 guy that he used to be and maybe never will, but he's made five cuts. He's five for five. He likes to play these shorter, tracks. He seems to do well there. He's 
ranked fifth in strokes gained around the green and 25th in putting. You know, he's not losing it as he's getting into his 40s. You think the putter may go. That part of his game is the strongest part of his game. So I think he can do well. I was thinking about Aaron Rye taking a wait and see on him this week because of so many of the things that we talked about, about switching courses and being with a partner for three rounds and stuff. Ches Reeby, $7,400, another Mm -hmm. one of these interchangeable Russell Knox, Ches Reeby, same sort of thing. There's so many guys that they're shorter hitters and they're just so at such a disadvantage so many weeks out of the year. This week, they're not. And so maybe even some of their other stats like greens and regulation or, or things might look bad, but that's when they're playing, you know, 500 yard par fours. And they're not doing that this week. And so their second shot's going to be a lot simpler or a lot shorter anyway. And I think that we have to avoid holding them to certain numbers this week. One other point to make as we get to this low tier this week, Len, is the fact that you're getting guys for at least 54 holes. Unless a guy packs it up and goes home and slams the trunk uh, earlier than Saturday afternoon, you're at least getting 54 holes. And so it almost forces your hand to, all right, let me take a couple of the top guys on the list and let me take a chance on some of these lower price guys. And if I get an extra round from them on Sunday, even better. That's a bonus. That said, as I mentioned off the top, when I was talking about Patrick Cantley, yeah, I don't mind paying up for him. I just don't see where you can balance him out and where you can pay down in the 6,000s. I've got a few names written down here. Doc Redman, Satoshi Kodera, Peter Malnati, Luke Donald, Kurt Kitayama. I, none of those make me feel real good. I, I'm not bullish on any of those guys, really, Len. Is, is there anyone in this range where you go, here's my guy, this is the guy you've got to take that can sort of counterbalance a Patrick Cantlay and Daniel Berger? There's nobody like that for me. There are a couple of guys at 7,000. I know you've talked about Joseph Bramlett before. And I I do like him this week. He's made the cut the last two years here. One of them was a top 20. He's three for three in cuts on tour. One stat I'm looking at this week is approach shots from 125 to 150. It's going to be Mm. kind of short this week. He's 33rd on tour in that. That surprised me. Vaughn Taylor, former champion here, 7,000. But I'll move quickly into the sixes. And Mark Hubbard, Mm. one of the absolute shortest hitters on tour. He's like 281. He's outside the top 200. He's just what I was talking about a moment ago. He's at such a disadvantage so many weeks out of the year, and his short game is so good. He's seventh in scrambling. Walking down Narrative Street, too, Len, he got engaged right off the 18th green. I think that was about four or five years ago. If I'm remembering right, I believe it was after a Saturday third round at Pebble Beach, got down on one knee and proposed Mm. to his then-girlfriend. And so, uh, again, if you're looking for narratives, as we always are, and we don't want to just look through all the numbers and data, uh, there's a nice one to look at. Lastly, I'm picking an old guy, Alex Cheka, who's 51 and now is on the Champions Tour. He's played this tournament a bunch. This is his 17th time. He didn't play it last year, made the cut six of his last seven times. If anyone is familiar with the format, it's someone who's played it 16 prior times. $6,400. We'll see. All right. I like it. Let's get to our lineup. Uh, We're making our ultimate DFS lineup here on the pod. So uh, Len, I will defer to you. You can have the first pick here. Let's jump right in. Patrick Cantley, 11-2. Yeah. I obviously have no problem with Patrick Cantley any week, but especially against a weaker field this week. And uh, again, and and I should have made the point off the top, but I'll reiterate this point. The fact that you're getting 54 holes for everybody. So even if you throw, like you said, Peter Jacobson or Tom Lehman into your lineups, 
hey, at least they're going to play three rounds this week and not just two. So I think that can affect the way you build your lineup. All right, I'm going to go with a cheaper guy now that you threw Cantley on the list. I mentioned his name earlier, my favorite play or one of them on the board. There's so many reasons to like him this week. Are you taking a little bit of a chance here? Absolutely. But I like it. I've heard from people who play some golf with him on a regular basis in the Scottsdale area that he's been really good for a long time now, dealt with some injuries since he left the PGA Tour. But Brandon Harkins at 7,100, like I said, will be on a lot of my lineups this week. He's certainly a name with some buzz this week. Um, One guy we didn't mention, and I won't be suspenseful, Mackenzie Hughes at $8,400. He's missed his next three cuts at this tournament. His short game is just superior. Top 20 in both around the green and putting. Greens in regulation numbers, much better than average. Hughes is a tremendous fast greens putter. And so we heard about the weather. You mentioned it's going to be nice all week at Pebble Beach. Maybe those greens get baked out a little bit. The amateurs won't like it, but if they get quick out there, Mackenzie Hughes will absolutely like it. Okay, we've got... Three of the six in the lineup. I'm going to go with the guy that I listed as my favorite outright this week. I don't necessarily love the price at 40 to 50 to one in most books. I was hoping for maybe a little bit longer than that. I might be getting a little greedy there, but I do think it's a nice price for DFS. And that's 8,300 for Mito Pereira. I'm telling you, this kid's really, really good. I don't think you're going to see him at this price in this kind of field for much longer. So I think we need to jump on it while we still can. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good price considering the field. Only 10 of the top 50 in the world. What do we have left here? We've got 15,000 exactly, 7,500 on average per man. And feel free to spend and I'll do with, you know, trying to find somebody lower if you want, Len. I'm going to throw in Mark Hubbard, who we talked about earlier. Again, we have 54 holes of guarantee. He's $6,700. His short game is so good. I mean, these greens, we haven't talked about the size of the greens, at least at Pebble. They're only 3,500 square feet. It's the smallest greens these guys will see all year. Even the best greens and regulation guys are going to miss scrambling will come into play. He's really a a great scrambler so far this year. Speaking of scrambling, you just got me scrambling to look at Denny McCarthy's record. We have 8,300 left to spend. McCarthy sitting there at 8,200. He was sixth in his last start at the American Express. I like that. He he missed the cut here last year. Pair of 72s, played in 18, tied for 66th. I just feel like we can get some more value a little bit lower down the list, maybe differentiate our lineup just a little bit more as well. If we leave a few more bucks on the board, I'm going to go to to a guy that uh, probably most casual fans, even some diehard fans had never really seen much before last week. We saw a lot of Aaron Rye and the two gloves and the head covers. I'm telling you, he played really well on the South course at Torrey Pines. And guess what? 7,700 is not his kind of thing. I'm telling you, 7,000-yard courses are way better for Aaron Rye at 7,900. I don't know that he exactly matches the result that he had from last week, but I do think he has another good week in him. That golf swing is terrific. The short game is really good. He's going to do some big things, but I do think that he's going to do them on shorter courses more so than long courses like we saw last week. And there's a lineup, Len. Patrick Cantley, Brandon Harkins, Mark Hubbard, Mackenzie Hughes, Mito Pereira, Aaron Rye. What do you think of that one? I think it's good. I think it's competitive. That's our lineup for this week, and that's our pod for this week. My thanks to Len Hochberg, as always. I'm Jason Sobel. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Remember, you can download the Links and Locks podcast anywhere you find your favorite pod. Subscribe, 
rate us, listen, please. And I'll be back with another pod with Ben Everell breaking down the betting markets at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Good luck to everybody out there with your DFS lineups. Here's hoping you guys get the green.